0: Welcome everybody to episode 22 of the Altitude Talk Show. The Rockies are in first place. Let's go! This is fantastic guys, it's going to happen all season long. We are the purveyors of optimism on this podcast, as you will soon find out over the next however many minutes this becomes. But I guess I should introduce myself. I'm Isaac Marks and I'm joined by Logan as always. He's the one who yelled, let's go! Really loud if you want to recognize his voice. he also
1: just called me an optimist. Which well, <laughs> listeners of the All right, podcast? Right,
0: right, right. I'm great. I'm the optimist. You're the pessimist. So I, I can
1: be happy for the time being as long as we're sitting at the top of the NLS somehow.
0: And I you will know. always irrationally believe in the positive things because I'm irrational. So we're well.
1: going to be a 90 loss team in like mid August. You're going to be like, no, no, man, LA's going to go cold. We got this. We're taking the wild card. I
0: might not be. I'm not like unrealistic with my optimism. I just I look for the bright side. Yeah. Then I'll, just, I mean, then I'll just be excited to see Jeff Hoffman throw. I don't know. Yeah. That's a that's his silver lining of being really freaking terrible throughout the entire season. So yeah.
1: side. Maybe, we'll cross maybe, up when we get there. Maybe some yeah. David
0: Dahl, you know. Yeah.
1: But let's let's live in the present though. Okay. Without Jeff Hoffman, despite Jeff Hoffman, we're
0: looking pretty good. We're looking alright. Yeah. On the surface. Yeah. We've had some... There's been some uh, troubling signs in terms of statistics, as we'll talk about. There's been some starting pitching inconsistencies. Some guys who have been surprising this year. We got a surprising start from Jordan Lyles tonight. Heyo! De La Rosa's been bad, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, There are some positive signs there, but we'll see. The bullpen aside from Miguel Castro and Jake McGee, has been pretty terrible. So we'll talk about who we think might make a couple steps forward um, and improve on that front. We'll also talk about McGee or Castro. not going to give too much away there, but you can pretty much guess that conversation. Um, Then we're going to talk a little bit about Nolan Arenado, how he's living up to the hype of being in the MVP race, and we'll see... See what the Rockies can do to get them there, to get them to the top. What do you say?
1: Let's get rolling. So you just talked about it's ready. on the surface. Let's dig deep. Dig real deep. And let's start. You are bringing up Lyles. You brought up De La Rosa. First point I think we got to talk about. Rockies' starting pitching has been super inconsistent. Lyles tonight is the perfect example of that. Going in tonight, he had an 11-yard looked like crap. He's been walking guys all over the place. And then he comes in tonight, throws seven innings of one-run ball. Uh, unearned run, and now suddenly we're looking good again with Lyles for for this next five-day stretch here. Um, you know, Chatwood, Bettis have looked for the most part good. The one guy who we thought we could count on, De La Rosa, through three starts, is already is hovering right around nine. I don't, I don't know what to expect. Overall, I guess you have to say our starting pitching has been better than we thought it would be, but it's nowhere near what we thought it would be, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it makes sense, and I think that's a pretty – accurate way to describe it too Um, I mean we were hopeful about the whole Chad Betta situation after his uh, the way he ended last year he ended last year on a really he had a good in good year the entirety of 2015 we was when he was in the starting rotation but um, you really thought that De La Rosa was going to be the lone bright spot considering we had no idea what we were going to get from Chatwood Lyles has been incredibly inconsistent Um, really over his entire career as a Rocky. Like, he's shown flashes of what he could do like he did tonight as we record this on Monday. Um, And we've also seen him do a lot of what he's done in his previous two starts, which is hold it together for a couple innings and completely fall apart. Um, But Tyler Chatwood, man. Looking sharp. He looks real good. I wrote in my column today, so backtrack a little bit. Logan and I both have weekly columns on Purple Row, so that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, every week we get to banter on like we do on this.
0: But so like, If you don't
1: like listening to us, you can read us.
0: But it's also like by ourselves, so we don't have the other one contradicting us, which is really nice because then I can stand on my soapbox and preach, and Logan's not there to bring me down.
1: Isaac doesn't have to hold back my passion. Well, this is the end of the podcast. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. This is the end of the series. Isaac and I are going to cite irreconcilable differences. Calling it now. Peace, everyone.
0: He's kidding, because that'd be stupid.
1: I love you, Isaac. Could never do that to you.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, my feelings are a little hurt. But come on, let's let's get back on track. Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah, so Tyler Chatwood has had three starts. His, I'm going to skip ERA just because, and wins, because they're really outdated statistics, but... His whip is 1.138, which is solid. Um, His walk rate is fantastic, 0.9 walks per nine innings. Um, His strikeout rate, not striking out a lot of guys, but he's really a contact pitcher, so you can't really expect a lot out of him anymore. Um, I don't know, he's controlling all the things that a pitcher can control and keeping guys off base, um, pitching to contact, letting his defense play, and it's working. So... Good to see that his elbow healed fully. I mean, he did take a year and a half off, so you would hope so. But it's a good sign moving forward. He's the kind of guy that you could see in the back of an actual like contender's rotation. Like he's a good four to five, four or five guy, not like a two or three guy like he is right now for the Rockies. But he's a guy you could see on a different uh, rotation in a different role.
1: Yeah, and I mean, he's got the stuff for it. You know, he. I haven't really checked his velocity much this year. I mean, before he was sitting right around 94, 95. I think he's right up right around that range again this year. Is, yeah. <laughs> and, like, you compare him to a guy like Lyles. I mean, Lyles has added a lot of velocity this year, but it doesn't seem like he necessarily knows what to do with it, where to place it. Um, it could just be because it is kind of a recent thing. That he's added a little bit more ched to it. But, um, mean, Chadwood's always... You, you can read use the ex-
0: of ched. You, you oh, can
1: read yeah. the X ex- player. You know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, Chatwood. I mean, you can tell he's a little bit more used to having that kind of stuff, and he's had a lot more practice using it. And it's really paying off. I and mean, He's locating his spot in the corners, especially the outside corner. Dude just painted it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, you got you got the good and the bad. You have, like you said, Chatwood and Bettis are both sitting sub three ERA right now. And then on the bad side, you have De La Rosa and Lyles both sitting up at um, 9 11.25. Well, going into 9.11.25, that'll drop down to about 7 once the stat sheet I'm looking at updates. But um, it, it's just inconsistent. It's like you, you can't expect the two good guys to sit there, you can't expect the two bad guys to sit where they're at. It's just where is it going to balance in the middle? And you talked in your column referencing it again about the uh, Franklin Morales line. Uh, it's really like which side of that line is our starting rotation going to settle on? Because if we could clear that line and go, kind of in the, I forget you were switching around, but get go on the better side of that line.
0: Yeah, over and, over the line meaning their ERAs are underneath are underneath Morales's. It's
1: kind of counterintuitive, but yeah. yeah. If they settle as being better than Franklin Morales, and we're looking pretty sharp. If we're settling right in that Franklin Morales range, then it's more of the same that we've been dealing with for our entire adult lives.
0: Well, the problem is, too, is that the Morales line is so utterly, like, would be so horrible for literally every other team in Major League Baseball. But for Colorado, that's our benchmark. Our pitching situation is... Not super different, but it, I mean, pitching at altitude is a bit more difficult, but it's I. It's not as difficult as everybody thinks it to be. At this point, it's a lot of mental and a lot of voodoo. But the Rockies, knowing their history, they're just at a different benchmark. So you can't judge them based off of normal, like, major league um, evaluation systems. So that's why I created the Mendoza, lot or the <laughs> Morales line based off of the Mendoza line for hitting um, to, like, evaluate Rocky's pitching. And right now, it's actually proving, like, a pretty good measure measurement stick, even though, granted, small sample size. But you want to be below 5.10 on your ERA. I mean, that's the goal, right?
1: For For every other team, that's, like, the bare minimum for staying on the Major League team. For our team, it's like the average. For our
0: team, it's like, you're doing a good job. You're not doing great, but you're, you're holding your own. We're proud yeah. of you. Yeah, so but. that's kind of how you have to evaluate it. So, But let, let me – did you watch Bergman start on Friday against – or Saturday against the Cubs?
1: I watched bits and pieces. Uh, those of you that uh, follow me on Twitter, shameless plug, know that it's a constant battle between me and my roommates – uh, between me watching Rockies Baseball and my roommates loving the show Naked and Afraid. so oh God. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a battle where I almost have to get to my TV like an hour ahead of time just so I can get two hands on the remote and just lock it down. That shows up. Uh, but then between that and NBA playoffs, it, it's a battle. But I end up getting about four or five innings in. I can't believe I'm going to say this. The worst thing about me trying to watch Rockies Baseball is that I'm in their market. Yeah, it's 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 funny that that's where the future is gone.
0: Yep. But, um, I think I've watched off. more Rockies games than you have, and I'm two time zones away.
1: Yeah, I'd be better off living on the other side of the country in terms of <laughs> watching the Rockies. So, yeah.
0: well, um, that's what happens but, when you bootleg my MLB TV to subscription. Anyway, thoughts on Christian Bergman? He's just so steady. Yeah.
1: He's like if he took De La Rosa, like when we first brought De La Rosa in. It was just like he's not gonna be great, he's not gonna be bad. He just like he'll just give you like six innings, like three to four runs, or like maybe seven innings, three to four runs, and like keep you in the ball game.
0: So do you think he should stay in the pen or stretch him out and see if he can make it as a starter? Like I grant, we know John Gray's coming back and he's projected to start on Friday, so Hold your horses! Not kicking him. John Gray out, obviously. Yeah, he's on his really? way.
1: Yeah. But so, so to narrow down the question, do we, would we rather have Christian Bergman or Jordan Lyles? I think three starts in, it's too early to give up on Jordan Lyles. Oh, just I'm, he not saying, I'm not off saying. I'm not saying like
0: give his. up, give up on Lyles. I'm just saying should Christian Bergman be considered a starter or a bullpen guy? Because right now he's a swing guy, but eventually he'll land somewhere one side or the other, right? Like they've been back and forth with him. They have Chris Russin. There's at this point there's too many like long relief guys. Johan Flandes in the minors just for that specific role. So do you think they're going to they just going to leave him as a long relief guy, spot starter or are they going to commit him to one side or the other?
1: I think you leave him as a long reliever spot starter type just cuz that's where he had so much success last year. And for the exact reason I was just saying that we don't really have an obvious guy to drop out of the out of the rotation right now. I mean, if you get a guy in our rotation who come, we'll say late May, mid-June, somewhere in that range, is still looking like crap, whether that's Lyles or I don't want to say De La Rosa because you can never really drop him out. But let's say like Lyles or Gray or Chatwood or Bettis just looks like crap in a, in a month or so. That's when I think you have to start considering making some moves, whether it's sending Gray down to the minors if he's bad. Um, you know, Bettis, I, think, I guess, would be pretty entrenched. Chatwood, maybe sending him to the minors to, to kind of revamp himself and then, you know, figure out kind of a retool. I just don't think there's a spot for Bergman right now, but he's too good to, like, pull a Flande and send him to the minors. So I think you just send him to the bullpen. Um, you know, especially since our, our guys, like we were saying, are so inconsistent and we don't have a lot of guys going deep into games consistently. I'm perfectly fine having Bergman and Russell both in the bullpen. Because it's not like they have to be long guys. Like, I'd feel totally comfortable throwing Bergman out there for, like, a sixth inning or a seventh inning, too. Like, I I wouldn't, it wouldn't be like, uh, what's his base? It wasn't Egmont Escalon. Some dude, like, three years ago, I remember, who just sat in the bullpen. Well, it was Franklin Morales. It was Franklin Morales in 2014, (laughs) where he, like, wouldn't play unless we needed a relief pitcher in the third inning. It was just like, you know, Bergman and Russ and neither of those guys would be in that role. They could both contribute to the bullpen, whether it's a long reliever or, like, a middle reliever.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, okay, you've you've brought me off the bandwagon, but, like, I just... I struggled. I kind of want to give Bergman a shot at, like, winning a rotation spot and stretching him out all the way because he's always shown the ability to be a lesser version of Jorge de la Rosa and just get out there, throw strikes and be the kind of guy that you want at the back of your rotation to eat some innings. Um, But he, like he also has that value as for, for that same reason in the long relief, like mid mid tier innings guy. So I kind of see, I like, I see your point and I'm inclined to agree with you, but I'm also just curious to see how it would turn out if they tried that.
1: Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, we talk about Jorge De La Rosa very fondly on this show, obviously. But a lesser version of Jorge De La Rosa, is that really what we want? And, like, yeah, we'll have an innings eater. But I feel like a few of these guys could very easily become innings eaters, whether it's Bettis, De La Rosa, or, you know, potentially even Jordan Lyles if he straightens things out. It's like you, you don't need too many innings eaters. You need guys that can go out and dominate and maybe play that risk a little bit because if you have a bunch of innings eaters, you're not going to ever get anything great.
0: That's fair. Let's move deeper into the game and let's look at our bullpen.
1: Whew. So, yeah, again, pulling up the uh, Franklin Morales line. So you have two super good relievers right now in... Uh, as PDB refers to him, the Flamingo, Miguel Castro. <laughs> and Jake McGee, the, the big trade pickup of the offseason. Um, they've both been pretty filthy. They've combined 10 innings. They have 10 Ks. They've only given up five hits between the two of them. Uh, each of them has given up a solo home run, and that's the only runs they've given up would be those two homers. So, uh, And really looking sharp. On the other hand... The rest of our bullpen is crap right now. (laughs) So we have have Boone Logan, Bone Lagoon, who uh, we don't speak about as fondly on this show. Um, He is our third best reliever by most standards. I mean, guys are batting 190 against him, which is great. He's given up three runs in five innings, five and a third. So not looking too sharp there, not getting a lot of innings. A lot of discussion about how he should be used. It seems to be the hot button uh, issue topic with tissue. Logan, <laughs> a hot button tissue, whatever that is. Uh, oh, man. And then after that, it's just miserable. Uh, I mean, Justin Miller's looking rough. Chris Rousson's looking rough. Gurkha is a nightmare. Bad Quals is not looking good at all. No, David Hale not. came up, and uh, oh. I mean, the, David Hale just should be sent right
0: back down to Albuquerque, whatever that was. He got blasted. But he got just... He got rocked in an yeah. inning one point two innings I mean it was a three run homer, but like whew, he didn't but, he did not look like he had the ability to get people out
1: yeah but i mean the the good news is if we can get Chawwood or Bettis to go seven, we can then go straight to Castro and McGee and that's a great pitch ball game.
0: The problem is we can't do that every game no, so they need I mean, two or three one or two more guys in the back of the bullpen. Where you can just rely on them to get some outs. Like if you think about the Royals bullpen two years ago, they had Calvin Herrera. Um, oh my God! Who are the other the their closer? Wade Davis and Greg Holland. Yeah, those guys, Mister Alf, Mister Bullpen guy over here. Um, but I mean, that's a three. That was a three-headed monster with, but basically, a combined ERA of sub one point five. So the Rockies are never going to get that. Like, that's just the inevitability of playing in such a offensively-minded uh, park and playing in two other pretty high, or playing in one other um, highly-rated offensive park in Arizona like, what, 12 times, 10, 12 times a year. Um, your pitchers are going to get hit around a little bit, so it'll be hard to get that like 1.5 mark, but... You need at least one or two more guys to have a solid bullpen that can really carry you from 7, 8, and 9 if your pitcher can't go 7. Cuz asking a pitcher to go 7 innings consistently is a starting pitcher is like without an ace such as a Kershaw or a Grankey or one of those guys. It's just not going to happen. So that and that kind of leads to another conversation you and I were going to have. Where does Adov Montevito fit in with the Castro-McGee situation? Because right now we have Castro 8, McGee 9, and that looks pretty set. But throw Adovino in there. If he's anything like he was at the beginning of last season, that's a really intriguing option. Granted, this is three months from now, maybe, if he's back. Fifteen months is a pretty decent amount of time. For Tommy John surgery to be fully repaired, but where do you think he fits in?
1: It's it's hard to say because you have to see where he's going to come back at. You know if he's going to come back and have the same juice, the same stuff that he had before. I've also just referred to pitching as both juice and ched. So, I'm hungry, but um, I mean for reference, the dude last year started the season with 10 and a third scoreless, was looking absolutely dominant. So we talk about how good Castro and McGee are looking. Ottavino looked even better, um, you know, before he got hurt last year. And I hate to say it, just because a lot can change between now and then, but I feel like if Ottavino comes back the same way, you got to plug him right back into the closer spot. And I know I kind of changed my vibe since we talked about it around lunch today, but... I mean, the dude has has done nothing. We just gave him a huge contract. We clearly think of him as kind of the anchor of the bullpen. I think you ease him into it, but assuming that Castro and McGee return to non, you know, non like reliever of the year levels, I think you you gotta at least give Ottavino a shot to win back the closer job. Um, But really, I mean, it depends. If Castro still has a one five ERA by then, he better be closer.
0: Well, so. What if what if the Rockies just kind of got rid of the whole closer thing and just used McGee and Ottavino by committee in the later last two innings? So say you have a better matchup in the eighth inning for a left-handed guy, or for two le- go lefty righty lefty you throw McGee out there, then you have two righties um, in the ninth, and you have Ottavino. What like. Say the Rockies go outside of, like, convention and, like, think, think outside the box for once. That isn't insane like a four-man rotation and just rid themselves of archaic, like, designations for the bullpen. Because, let's be real, a save is, like...
1: It's old-fashioned.
0: Yeah, it's a very old-fashioned way of, about going, about looking at a bullpen. You really want to see pitchers you put in the best situations to succeed, regardless of the situation. So, if you so if there's a right handed masher up at the plate with a runner on first and you're down one, McGee's closing, I'd rather see Castro face that last guy because this guy is known to hit lefty fastballs, and that's all McGee throws. So just to just just for the sake of argument, replace that if you had Ottavino instead of Castro, would you feel less hesitant and not have that look on your face when I say that?
1: I'd be less hesitant for sure just because I trust him more. I mean, Castro has all of like three weeks or a month of closing experience in his career on a stats basis, which is generally what people in our world of blogging love, it makes the most sense to go with what you're saying, and you know, where you can play the matchups. To me though, from a mentality perspective, it seems like guys succeed a lot more when they know exactly where their spot is. You know, if if Castro is the setup man, he can mentally prepare himself every inning for the eighth inning. Well, if he doesn't if he doesn't know until the middle of the seventh whether he's going to be pitching the eighth or the ninth, it kind of screws with people a little bit. And so, I mean, I, I don't know their personalities. I'm not in the trenches like i every week. But, you gotta, you gotta know, I guess you got to have to get them mentally prepared. And if there's somebody who can be resilient like that and just be ready to go whenever that's needed, great. That just doesn't seem like something pitchers are about. Because pitchers are all about routine. Pitchers are all about knowing exactly when they're gonna pitch. And well, having something like that where it's not as defined, yeah. it mean, seems like it's not worth it.
0: That's fair, but, if you can if you can get guys... It's about buying into that mentality, right? It's about buying into that mentality that you trust... Uh, well, here comes the fatal flaw. You trust Walt Weiss to use you in the situation that fits you best. Like, if you can get... If you have four guys in the back of your bullpen, like Otto, Castro, Jason Mott when he's back, and Jake McGee, if Jason Mott still would qualify in that situation, which, in this case... It's either him or Boone Logan, so we're going to go with Jason Mott. Uh, if you get those four guys to buy in to the fact that they're going to be used in, like, they'll be finishing out games, but they'll be used in the best situation possible, then it takes away from that whole mentality standpoint, because that is the mentality, that they are a group, like, there to win the game, not about get the stats. Well contracts are based off of statistics and guys with higher stat rates will get more money. And that's definitely not something to be ignored. I think if you get the right guys in the system and that they can buy into that concept, I think it can work. But you have to convince them of that concept. And that's really difficult. Which is, again, on Wall Weiss. Yeah, so... Fatal flaw. Fatal flaw in my plan. But... But
1: it's worth trying i guess especially you know always the pessimist here if we fall out of playoff contention that's something we can mess around with it's it's like the four-man rotation a couple of years ago except not totally stupid
0: <laughs> yeah that was that was dumb at the very beginning and it just like got dumber and dumber as like it went on it just was not successful at any stage i don't think i think we were it, it was just bad
1: Let's not dwell on it.
0: I mean, I'm already dwelling on it, because that was the second stint of the Morales, Franklin Morales era.
1: Also, live update, Connor just tweeted the Wombat. Rockies get the dub. Oh, uh, Wombat. Tied for first place. Let's go.
0: Yeah, that was so a half-ass let go. Bro. That let's was go, a really, really half-ass let's go. But, oh, well. yeah, big things going for the Rockies. Stay, keeping that tie for first place. Um... But that's not likely to continue, unfortunately, because we're the Rockies, and that's just how it goes. But, I mean, okay, we just don't have that team yet. We're not playing for 2016. We're playing for 2017 and beyond. But let's focus a little bit on 2016 and talk about Nolan Arenado. So he came in eighth last year in the MVP voting. And you were you said something about this earlier, if you want to like, re-say that on on wax.
1: Yeah, so last year, Nolan Arenado got 8th in the MVP voting, which sounds kind of crazy on the surface because we're all homers, and we're like, but he's amazing. He loved the league in home runs and RBIs, and he played gold glove defense. Let me read off the list of people he was behind last year. So in order, it went Bryce Harper, Paul Goldschmidt, Joey Votto, Anthony Rizzo, Andrew McCutcheon, Jake Arrieta, Zach Greinke, Nolan Arnotto. Uh The main one he's above would be Clayton Kershaw of note. But, I mean, looking at the guys above him, obviously Jake Arrieta, Zach Greinke, you can make an argument for either depending on how you value pitching and MVP voting. I mean, guys don't get better than that. Uh, Bryce Harper, obviously, had whatever, was the best offensive year since Ted Williams or something crazy like that. Paul Goldschmidt really is kind of the model of consistency. Uh, The ones that stick out to me that he could realistically pass would be Rizzo, who, again, kind of consistent but less remarkable than Goldschmidt. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, which honestly I don't know how he got so high on that other than being the best player on a good team. Uh, On the surface, you just just
0: answered that question.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And then I mean you have Joey Votto, who also is on a very bad team, as Isaac likes to point out. Get this, though. Joey Votto's on base percentage last year, 459. The dude, it's <laughs> that like, a, it's it's nuts. It's crazy. The, the, the guy For reference, he walked 143 times last year. Nolan walked 34 times. So if you're one of those guys that always says a walk is as good of, as a hit, that's like, that's an extra 100 hits. Yeah. Like,
0: it's, like that's
1: the difference between, I mean, it's a, what is it? It's 130 points of on-base percentage between Nolan and, and Votto. And so, yeah, Nolan had more home runs. Nolan got more RBIs, which RBIs are subjective. Nolan played great defense. Joey Votto could not get out for the life of him, not even if he tried. His OPS was a nice round 1,000.
0: That's okay, right? I heard that's okay, good. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah. And so it's like, you know, it sounds crazy saying Nolan Arenado's eighth in the MVP voting.
0: But it's really but, not.
1: But not when you look at who's above him. And there's a lot of stars in the NL. Right. And so I and mean, going back to what I said about McCutcheon, how good do the Rockies have to be for Nolan to be a legit MVP candidate? Assuming he puts up like similar neighborhoodish numbers to last year. Yeah.
0: So I'm all, I'm on the um, Stan Van or Jeff Van Gundy train of you have to be over five hundred to be considered for awards. Um, you have your team has to be over five hundred for to be considered for like an MVP, a Cy Young, all that stuff. I mean, obviously the 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 cumulative statistics, notwithstanding, like those can be um, you can win a a batting title on a sub five hundred team. You can hit the most home runs on a sub five hundred team as no improved but to really get the recognition of leading a team like the Rockies to a 500 record or above and putting up those same numbers that would get him into the top 3 or 4 of an MVP vote um, because you're taking a team that has the expectation to uh, to win 70 games increasing that by 12 at least like minimum 12 right so increasing a like, if you can add 12 wins to a team, and I'm not saying Nolan would have a 12 war season because that'd be absurd, but like, if the Rockies do end up 500, that's largely going to be attributed to Nolan because he is the star of the franchise. He is the face of the franchise. He is the most well known name on the team. I mean, Cargo's a relatively close second, but Nolan is the golden boy right now. Um, So, if the Rockies finish above 500 and surprise people a little bit, I think that'll get them at least into consideration. I think for him to win, the Rockies have to make the playoffs. And if they do, then I think he's going to be close to a lock. And the chances of that are slim, so I... Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean... I think the Rockies not necessarily have to be 500, but at least get in that neighborhood. You know, I'd say maybe 75 wins at least. I'm more. I mean, going back to kind of the point I was making, I feel like it just has to come down to who's above him. You know, you have to look at not just team success but individual success. It, it bothers me sitting here saying Jorge de la Rosa needs to win Nolan Arenado and MVP, <laughs> and so I hate saying that as much as it's probably true. But like Molan Arnano needs to put up like a straight historic season if he were to just like will his way to an M V P award. Yeah.
0: I mean I am I'm with you. I hate the fact that like it it's reliant on T performance a little bit as well because like statistically um Andrew McCutcheon was hitting like two hundred twenty through May last year. He was he did not have a good start to his season and ended up didn't end up above three hundred, didn't end up with I mean, he has the stolen bases, so he has, like, the speed component, too. But he's not the most... Um, uh, what am I trying to say? He's not the most statistically glamorous player in the major leagues. So he ended up with 11 stolen bases, 23 homers, 96 RBIs, and a two ninety two average. Um, those are good numbers. Those are really good numbers. That's not... Like number he what what was he number five number four or five that's not worthy of those numbers Nolan no if you're basing it off of like if you're just comparing statistical numbers and like statistical um, just putting them side by side Nolan's the better player you take into into account team performance that changes the name of the game a little bit so MVP votes are always are very subjective. All voting is very subjective, which is really frustrating about these awards. But unfortunately, team performance comes into that, and I've, the Rockies have to be above five hundred for it to be um, for him to be considered a legitimate MVP candidate.
1: Yeah, I mean, how much do you think going back to what I was saying about Vado, How much do you think of it plays into the fact that he like basically never walked? Get 110 Ks last year, 34 walks. Um, no one else in the MVP discussion got anywhere near that few walks. Do you think that as, like baseball society in general, using an overarching term here, looks at kind of on-base percentage more importantly than batting average now? I mean, he batted a healthy 290, which is right up on par with Rizzo, with McCutcheon, those guys that are above him. But I an mean, on-base percentage of 323 is really not that great. I mean, DJ LeMahieu' on-base percentage last year was like 355, 360, somewhere right in there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, it's it's the Moneyball effect, right? It's yeah. at like so once Billy Bean figured out that on-base percentage was undervalued, everybody has turned around and now on-base percentage is very highly valued, which is which you can see why a guy like Joey Votto is getting so many MVP votes because a four sixty on base percentage, you're getting on base almost fifty percent like a little less than fifty percent of the time, which you're in, you're exponentially increasing your team's chances of scoring. When you get no matter the situation, like your team's chances of scoring a run in that inning almost double compared to how they were like before you were on base, whether there's anyone else on base or not, like it just increases it the chances significantly so um like those are it's just those little things that have changed the game a little bit, and I think it does work in detriment to nolan's candidacy. The good thing is is that Nolan has um looked a little bit more patient at the plate this year. Um, he's only struck out four times um, so far this season. One of them coming earlier today while um, Jeff Hewson, Drew Goodman, and Spilly were pulling the whole broadcaster jinx and talking about his strikeouts as he walks, watched strike three go right by him. But, you know, that's fine. But, so, Nolan has three walks and four strikeouts. He's still not walking at a high rate, but he's also not striking out as a, at as high as a rate. I think if Nolan doesn't walk a lot, if he strikes out less than he did before, I think that'll also increase his chances of making the MVP. Yeah.
1: I mean, you got to think, too, striking out less, that means he's likely going to have more productive outs. Right. He had 130 RBIs last year. Think about the kind of productive outs he could do. He could get up to, like, 140, 150 RBIs, which uh, really... In Rocky's history we haven't seen that since Larry Walker was putting up like two hundred and fifty RBIs and a three ninety <laughs> batting average back in like early two thousands.
0: Pre humidor days.
1: Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. But was... um yeah, yeah, I mean one, Nolan, Nolan's an exciting guy. We got a lot we got a long season to watch him, but I don't know. He's making strides.
0: Yeah. He's growing up on us. It'll be exciting. I I mean if you're not at least like excited a little bit about the the beginning of this season, then you need to get your baseball heart checked because winning baseball is fun baseball. And if you're going to be a pessimist about it, you can get off my lawn.
1: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean April is the best time to watch the Rockies. So if you're missing out on this, you're just you can't complain about the Rockies being bad in September if you're not taking advantage of the Rockies being good in April.
0: It's just, that's not how it works. Pessimism doesn't start when they start losing. Well, I guess it does, technically. But, I mean, like, pessimism doesn't come without optimism to begin with. You have to believe a little bit. You have to have that hope to be pessimistic. You can't just hate. It's not a good way to live your life, man. You need some positivity.
1: We're getting deep.
0: We're getting real deep.
1: Even when it snows, there's sunshine in Denver, everyone.
0: <laughs> in on that note. Bang
1: my head on a table.
0: <laughs> well... You got anything else for the people?
1: No, I'm good. We gave our wisdom. I just have to walk away on top. People are going to think we're like Magi or something.
0: We are Magi. Well, I'm a Jedi. You're a Magi, so. I'll take it. Yeah, fair. You guys can catch Logan's first column this Wednesday. Second. Thank Second. you very much. Okay, well, the first one was different than it's going to be. But.
1: You don't know that. The first
0: one was <laughs> great. The first one was great. <laughs> Logan, um,.
1: I scouted the Sandlot.
0: Yeah, you did. I still, Benny the Jet, always first-round pick.
1: I I described it to Bobby the other day as, I don't need credentials. I just go to the playground and watch middle schoolers. (laughs) I was like, all right. I take that back.
0: Yeah, you Uh, take that back. Oh, I I scouted the middle schoolers. We were forgetting something very special. Tell me. Logan's social minute. Oh, yeah, let's do it. All right. This we and this, um, well, I guess we have to change the name. We'll we'll work on a better name because social minute doesn't work because it usually takes like five minutes. But this is the Star Wars theme. Are you ready? Because sure. Logan's never seen a freaking Star Wars movie, and now Sorry. there's seven.
1: Sorry, everyone, I'm not telling you where I live. Cause and, I don't want you banging my door down? And, I already have people inside my house that scream at me for yeah. that. But
0: yeah, and yeah. me. So there's that.
1: So this is. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're going to be hitting me with trivia questions about Star Wars. And my my answers are strictly based on pop culture references and, like, cereal boxes and commercials and stuff.
0: Oh, that's not bad.
1: Maybe. Yeah. I know I'm a same. lot, dude. Star Wars is everywhere, especially for, like, that three-month session right as it was about to come out in the theaters. But hit me.
0: Okay, all right. We'll start with the first one. What was the first Star Wars movie originally called? The first one that came out. So do you know the full title of it?
1: Uh No. Oh <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I I know I know the Ah uh, We got I know like, some of them. But I just don't know the order, man. Pass,
0: okay. next. <laughs> okay, so I basically gave you the answer. The first one was originally just called Star Wars. It was called, uh, that. It was called Question. Star Wars and New Hope after the rest of the movie started coming out. So what comes after A New Hope? Do you know this? I'm going
1: to go to the, no, that's one of the newer ones. I'm no, going to no.
0: go. Uh, You're on the right track.
1: Uh, no. It's not Return of the Jedi, that a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a newer one.
0: No, that's an old one too, but it's not the right one.
1: Empire Strikes Back! There you go! Hey guys, I yeah, know Star Wars.
0: Oh my god, alright. So, what creature was Han Solo talking about when he said, my god... And I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Name that creature. Whatever Jabba the Hutt is, that dude's a giant bird. <laughs> <laughs> it is not a Jabba the Hutt creature. It is a Tauntaun.
1: Don't even know what that is.
0: <laughs> oh my god, okay. I
1: thought I am Star Wars, now I'm just thinking I don't. This is a waste of time.
0: Alright, what was Samuel L. Jackson's character's name? This is from the original three. Or not the original three, the new three.
1: You're going to say it and I'm going to be like, that's it? Yeah. But it's not coming off the top of my head. Mace Windu. This is just like turning into, let's see how much Isaac knows about Star Wars.
0: <laughs> I mean, th- okay, <laughs> that, he's literally the only black character in the entire movie.
1: I know. Doesn't <laughs> mean I need to know his name.
0: I mean, okay, whatever. Um, what color was, no, you won't know that. I was gonna ask you what color Mace Windu's lightsaber was.
1: Yeah, no idea. It's Guess purple. green.
0: It's purple. It's the only. It's like, whatever.
1: Ugh. Are what? you sure you don't want to end the podcast? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> no, I just, like, we have
0: me. we have two more. All right. What kind of starfighter does Luke Skywalker fly?
1: Those things have names. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh my god, yeah, it's an X-Wing.
1: It's a Millennium Falcon.
0: (laughs) Okay, who flies the Millennium Falcon?
1: Oh shit, I (laughs) thought that was a Star Trek thing.
0: (laughs) This is horrible. (laughs) That's the name of Han and Chewie's ship, dude. Is it really? Yeah. Okay, what kind of creature is Chewbacca? He's a Wookiee. Yes! Yes! All right, we're ending it there. We needed to end on a win. Oh, my God. That was... a just... warrior! <laughs> well, that's concluded Logan's stupidity moment for this week. Well, for those of you that want me to go out and watch Star Wars, I refuse, so don't even bother. I'm literally going to tie you down and make you watch these movies. All seven in a row. It's going can, to happen. Can you can't do that.
1: You're like thousands of miles away.
0: I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming. I'm just going to show up and it's going to happen. You'll miss work and you'll just have to deal with it. You have
1: to know where I live, too. I don't right. know where I live. At I least I'm in Denver. That doesn't narrow it down.
0: No, but I have ways.
1: Fine. We'll see. I keep my door locked. How'd your kids, hide your wife.
0: Uh, okay. Well, you guys can the- find us on iTunes, SoundCloud. If you're listening to us already, then you probably already found us. But go ahead, give us a follow and twitter at alta2 send us an email at alta2talkshow at gmail.com if you have questions we'd love to get some questions and do a mailbag episode because Logan likes to have funny answers and I like to make fun of him for it Um, anything else? oh haven't done this one in a while if you give us a a rating on iTunes we'll send you a beer yeah so go do that
1: except for Cam you don't count
0: yeah, Cam, you're a teen. We can't send you drinks.
1: House policy. But, but, you I can, s- use soda.
0: but you can still send us. You can still give us a good rating if you like it. So, let us know. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you soon.